Well, okay, we're in this series called Common People, Uncommon God. And so John 21 is where you are today. If you have your Bibles, your phones, your, your iPad, whatever you use to get Scripture, you can look at it to John 21. I'll join you there in a second as you're turning or, or clicking or however you get there. Uh, I'll join you in a second. But we're in this series called Common People, Uncommon God. This sermon today is probably one of the ones that I was, just could not wait to get to. It's when we close out the series. But we're going to look at this issue of just an uncommon comeback. And we're looking at the life of Simon Peter. If you've been with us, you know that we've learned a lot about Simon Peter. We've learned some things that we didn't know. Uh, we learned that he's a Texan and he's a Dallas Cowboy fan. And so we, so we learned some other things about Simon Peter. So, uh, and that's why I'm your pastor, because I'm able to pull those nuggets out for you that just change your life. But Simon Peter had this uncommon comeback. There's something about us that loves com- comeback stories, right? Whether it's, in, whether it's romance novels, whether, whether it's love stories, whether it's sports, whether it's whatever it is. We love pulling for the underdog. We love those comeback stories. Fact is, here a while back in 2001, Sports Illustrated ran a, an article on the top 10 comeback stories in our history. And it went way outside of sports world. I mean, they looked at all the comeback stories. And so I'll just give you the top five just, just so you understand what they were doing. One was Muhammad Ali after seven years of being out of boxing. Uh, he came back in 1974, beat George Foreman, knocked him out. Uh, huge fight, and he regained his heavyweight weight title. Uh, the next one, number four, was John Travolta. Uh, yeah, yeah, 19, 1994, uh, his, his career had like flatlined, and he did a movie called Pulp Fiction, and that movie was supposed to have restarted his comeback or restarted his career. Number three was Michael Jordan, 1995. Michael Jordan had left basketball for a while to try, his, try baseball. Uh, that didn't work out so well. And so he went back to, to basketball, and that started, re, restarted his career, and it was another comeback. Number two was Japan and, and Germany. After the 50s and World War II, um, they became an industrial superpower. And you know what's the strange thing? Simon Peter did not make their list. Simon Peter did not make their list, although his story was probably one of the biggest spiritual comeback stories that we have in Scripture and may have been one of the spiritual comebacks of all time. You see, Simon Peter was at an all-time low. He had denied Christ. He had done some things that he said he would never do. He made some commitments in church and said, I'd never act like that. I'd never behave like that. I'd never do that. I'd never make that decision. And he found himself doing that. It was a night that he would regret forever, and he was at this all-time low. I mean, he denied Christ for the last time, about the time that they were bringing Jesus through the courtyard, and he was bloodied and beaten, carrying a cross, and their eyes met. Not a word was exchanged, but the look Simon Peter knew. I mean, he knew Jesus heard him. No one felt worse than Simon Peter. No one felt lower than Simon Peter. We'd watched him stumble, but this time he falls. And here's just a principle that's going to come out all the way through this message in John chapter 21. And that was true of Simon Peter, but is also true of us. While Simon Peter was giving up on himself, because the scripture says that when he denied Christ, their eyes met, that he went out and he wept bitterly. When Simon Peter was giving up on himself, Jesus Christ was not giving up on him. And some of you in this room, you may have had major failures in your past. You may have had some of those moments when you regret that night, you regret that action, you regret that season of your life. And while you were giving up on yourself, 
based upon his word, he was not giving up on you, and he is not giving up on you. It is true in his life, true in ours. Three things about how Jesus restores us that we just have to grab this morning. Let me tell you something. We have been praying for you before this message that there would be some people that would get this, understand this, and it would bring great freedom into their life when they understand God's word and how he reveals himself to you. Three things about how he reveals himself to us or restores us. The first one is this. Jesus reveals himself to us. That's what he did with Simon Peter. That's what he does with us. He does with us so many different ways, but watch this verse, John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed, revealed himself. Here's my favorite word out of that whole scripture, again. He didn't just reveal himself once or twice. It was multiple times. See, while Simon Peter was giving up on himself because he thought his failure was too great, and he, saw, he thought, because of my failure, because of my sin, that he can never use me again like he said, that I'm giving up on myself, but Jesus was not giving up on him. And he revealed himself to him again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. And if we drop down to John 21, 14, here's what the scripture says. Now this was how many times? The third time. This was the third time that he revealed himself. Um, this is now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, 34. Uh, Luke writes and talks about another time that Jesus revealed himself. And watch this. It was just so personal. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And then watch this. And he has appeared to Simon. We don't know what took place in that personal meeting. It was like this one-on-one meeting. We don't know the exchange. We don't know what they talked about. But we do know this, that while Simon was giving up on himself, Christ was not giving up on him. And more than once, he continually revealed himself to Simon. In other words, that he pursued Simon because he wanted to restore him. Uh, Verse 3 as we continue, or verse 2 as we continue, John 21, Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples were together. And so Simon Peter said to them, because Simon Peter was given up on himself, I'm going fishing. And they said, well, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught, I mean, they caught absolutely nothing. That's humbling for someone that fishes, right? I mean, when you don't catch a fish, that is frustrating and that is humbling. There may be several reasons that they did that. I mean, one, because they needed to make a living. I mean, that's the way they made their living before uh, Christ. And so maybe they needed to return, and maybe they felt like, you know what, guys, we, we need to, we need to make, a, make a living. Maybe it was because Jesus had told them that I'm going to go ahead of you to the, to the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go ahead of you of Galilee. And so maybe Simon Peter was thinking, well, that's where Jesus said he was going to go. You know what, let's go there and fish. Maybe it was because that was the place where Jesus called Simon Peter for the first time to follow him. Maybe it had this emotional meaning to Simon Peter. He says, you know what, all I know to do is to go back to the place where he first called me. So, well, verse 4, so just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So, so to them, it's just a stranger. It's just this individual on the shore. So Jesus said to them, another fa- favorite word of the passage passage children he still considered simon peter his child there is security of the believer there is security in christ 
Even though Simon Peter did the thing that he said he would never do. Even though Simon Peter denied him and Jesus heard him. He still referred to him. Listen, even when you give up on yourself, he is not giving up on you. And you know what? He still referred to Simon Peter as my child. There is comfort when you understand that you are a son and a, or a daughter of him. And there's security and there's safety in that. So he said, children, do you have any fish? Now, that's the worst question you can ask someone when they're not catching any fish. And so they had to answer, and I'm sure it was like this frustrating answer, like no, and there was probably some intensity to that. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're fishing, whether you're on the side of the lake or a river, right? And you're not catching anything, and someone walks by. It can be a stranger, someone who you do not know. And they can ask that question, hey, you guys catching anything? And you hate to answer what? You hate to say no. Because you ha- I mean, it's like going for that job interview. And coming home, you get the job? No. There's just something about us. We don't like to admit our failures, right? And they had to answer and they said no. Here's the crazy thing about this whole deal. This is the last recorded miracle of Jesus Christ. The fact is, this is the only one recorded after the resurrection of Christ. And it was to restore Simon Peter. Even when Simon Peter was giving up on himself, Christ was not giving up on him. He performs a miracle to reveal, to restore him. Verse 6, and so he said to him, or them, so this is, they still don't know who it is, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. They did it. I mean, you know this, right? Even if you're not catching fish, a stranger can walk up to you and say, Hey, if I was you, I would try this bait, and you're going to do it, right? I mean, they didn't even know if this guy knew what he was talking about. They didn't even know who he was. But when you're desperate, see, they were desperate. When you're desperate, you'll change. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, so they have this big catch of fish because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, that's how he always referred to himself in the book of John, is the one that Jesus loved. So you know that there was some competition for the affection of Christ. So the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter had heard that, it, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work. So many times their clothing in those days were loose-fitting. It was, it was difficult to, to work in, and they would strip to, to fish. And so Simon Peter puts on his outer garment, for he stripped for work, and, and look at that. And he threw himself into the sea. Listen, Jesus Christ, to restore you, to restore me when there's been failure, when there's been deep hurt and deep pain, he will reveal himself to you. But guess what? There is a response that is required of you. There was something that Simon Peter had to do to himself to be restored. It was more than just Jesus revealing himself. See, Jesus reveals himself to us in many different ways to restore us whether it's through a church like this, whether it's through his word, whether it's through Christian friends, whether it's through a sermon that you hear on the internet or the radio or whatever. But Jesus reveals himself to you because even when you're giving up on yourself, he has not given up on you. But it cannot stay there. See, Simon Peter had to respond. 
And if you want to make a spiritual comeback, it starts with a response. Yes, it starts with him resp- revealing himself to you. But it, starts, it also is you responding to him. And even though there was failure in his life, and even though Simon Peter had blown it, he responds and he comes to Christ. You see, here's what happens with so many people and why they're not restored. It's because they isolate. They blow it. The night. The thing that they did. Whatever it is in their past. And you know what they do? They isolate. Listen, isolation is of Satan. And isolation will destroy you. And so here's what people do when they blow it and when they give up on themselves, they begin to isolate. They isolate from Christian friends. They isolate from the church. They isolate from from family who may be speaking truth into their life and wanting to minister to them and maybe wanting to tell them the hard things because they love them and care for them. And they isolate from everything in their life. But not Simon Peter. I mean... I mean, this is why it's an uncommon comeback. Because when God revealed himself to Simon Peter, he couldn't get to him quick enough. I mean, he responded. And so verse 8. And so the other disciples uh, came in the boat, dragging the net, net full of fish, for they were not far from land. They were about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. That is really important. That is like huge to this whole story. With the fish laid out on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went ahead, so he jumps on the, sh- on the boat to help them, went ahead uh, aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. So now, okay, so we know they're real fishermen, right? They're not saying we caught some small fish here. Not only that, they know the number. If you've ever hung out with a fisherman, you know they got pictures, the size of the fish, how big the fish were, how inches, how, how long they were, and the number. And sometimes it's exaggerated, but not in Scripture. And so, <laughs> full of large fish, 153 of them, although there were so many, the net was, another miracle, the net was not torn. Here's the crazy deal. 153 fish for eight guys? Seriously? What he does, he always does in abundance. He has more than you need. He didn't give them just enough. He didn't give them so little that they'd have to kind of split up the fish. He gave them 153 fish for eight men. And said, I got more than enough resources to meet your needs. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread, gave it to them, so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples that he was raised from the dead. So the first thing that happens is he, he reveals himself to us. There's a response that is required for each one of us. Simon made that response by throwing himself into the sea, coming to him. The second thing is this. It's just so critical. Jesus restored him to a place of leadership. See, here's what happens to a lot of us. A lot of us, when we blow it, we'll think, okay, God may forgive me, and he'll probably forgive me, and maybe I'm still his child, but I will never get to do the things he once called me to do. He will never restore me. He will never trust me again. But you do not see this in the story. When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, watch this, Simon, son of John. That is crazy. That is, that's Simon's old name. 
Remember the story? Remember in this series? When Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Simon said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you've answered correctly. And because of that, I'm going I'm to change your name. You'll no longer be known as Simon, son of John. You're going to be known as Cephas. You're going to be known as, as Peter, Petros, the rock. Does Jesus, did he forget that? Did he forget that he called him Simon's son? Did he forget that he changed his name? And several times he uses that in here. And then he makes this statement. So I'm sure Simon Peter is reeling at this point. He's restoring him. There's some reasons that he did this. He says, do you love me more than these? That's strange. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, then serve me. If you really love me, if you really believe this stuff, then how about this? How about you serve me? Just feed my sheep. Now, it's strange that he uses Simon, son of John. He uses the old name. So, why does he, so questions we have, why does he use the old name? Why in the world was it a charcoal fire? Uh, what, why did he ask the question, do you love me more than these? And then why did he choose this place? You see, counselors tell us this, that to be restored from a deep failure, to be restored from a deep hurt, a wound of the past, the wound needs to be confronted, not stuffed, not ignored, not denied, not acting like it never occurred. But the wound has to be exposed. It has to be confronted. It has to be forgiven. And then it has to be released. See, our tendency when we fail is not only to isolate. Our tendency also is to hide it, is to stuff it, to cover it up, to ignore it. And you know what? That will never bring you healing in your life. Jesus didn't ignore it. See, there's a lot of times when we go through hurt like Jesus did and Simon Peter ignored him, I mean, uh, denied him. A lot of times we just kind of ignore the hurt and act like it didn't happen, not Jesus. Because Jesus knew for healing to come in Simon Peter's life, for healing to come in your life and my life, that hurt, that failure of the past. Man, listen, and it makes a lot of us, even for some of you that haven't dealt with that yet, even when I start talking about that, 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 that event can come up in your mind. And it can make you uneasy because none of us like to go through that. But, but Jesus has taken Simon through healing. He says, Simon, son of John, that had to hurt. And he's telling him, Simon, I got to tell you, you're acting like, boy, you're acting like you did before you ever met me. Simon, I got to tell you, you're not being very rock-like. Your behavior, the charcoal fire, why the charcoal fire? That was the place where Simon denied him. He's bringing him back to his point of pain. He's bringing him back to his point of failure. Helping him to understand, I was there, I was with you, and I will restore you. I mean, he restored him at the place. Where he said, follow me. He asked him this question, do you love me more than these? Why that question? Why that statement? Well, we can, we can try to figure it out just based upon the story. These may have meant these men. These may have meant the fish. These may have meant his boat, um, his profession, his career. It could have been all of these things. 
But I think maybe it goes back to the commitment that Simon Peter had made, Matthew 26, 33. Here's what Simon Peter did. Here's what Simon Peter committed to. He says, though they all, the disciples, though all these men, though all they fall away because of you. He says, you know what? I'll, I'll never fall away. I mean, Simon had made reference that I love you more than these. And Jesus was bringing him back to that statement. He was making Simon Peter face a prideful, arrogant spirit. That these guys, they're not spiritually as mature as me. These guys, they're not at the same spiritual. Fact is, I'm, a, I'm here spiritually and they're kind of here. And because of that, they're going to fall away, but I never will. And so Simon Peter replies, and you, you know I love you, Lord. And so watch this. Jesus just drills in, and he makes it even more per, uh, personal. And he drops more than these. Watch this, verse 16. So Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So Simon said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, serve me, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. I mean, in the Greek, that just means inner turmoil. That means great pain. Simon Peter grieved because none of us like to be reminded of our failures, right? That's why we stay away from the very thing that brings us healing. Because we're uncomfortable with it. But Jesus knew that he needed healing because, of, because he had said this, him, this the third time, Do you love me? Jesus said to him, or Simon Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, If you love me, do what I've called you to do. If you love me, serve me. If you love me, don't be a spectator. Be a, get in the game. Just do what I've called you to do. So, for Simon Peter to get restored, same way with us. Jesus revealed himself. It caused a response in Simon Peter's life. He restored him to a place of leadership. And the last thing is this. And it's so amazing to me about the care of Jesus for Simon Peter's emotional health. And he goes deeper to restore him emotionally and deals with some things down deep in Simon's life. Jesus renews his call. See, Simon Peter may have thought, you know what, because I've blown it big time, that thing that the church deal and Cephas and your rock and what you've called me to, you know what, that's, that's done. You will never, there's a lot of people that have been restored, but they stop here because they think their sin of the past disqualifies them from serving him or disqualifies them from ministry. And you know what, I hate to tell you this, but there are some church, churches that may have enforced that in your life and mistakenly and wrongfully told you that, you know what, because of your sin of the past, he cannot use you at the level he once did. And that is not in Scripture. And you see this with Simon Peter after he had denied him three times, after he had done the thing that he said he would never do. You find that Jesus restores him and then renews his call and says, Simon, I am not done with you. Listen, when you give up on yourself, Jesus Christ has not given up on you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what that night is like for you. I don't care what that sin looks like. I'm telling you. He's not going to give up on you. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you 
You used to dress yourselves and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In other words, follow me down the beach. We're going to, we're going to have this conversation. So, so Simon Peter is at rock bottom and Jesus reveals himself to him and restores him. And now he's going to renew his call and and he's telling him what kind of death he's going to die. So you're going to die like this brutal death. And Jesus didn't put it that way. That's like my version. But Jesus said you're going to die this, 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 this death. And he wanted Simon Peter to understand that if you're going to feed and tend and shepherd, that it first has to come out of a love for me and a love for God and in other words, what Simon Peter is saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna serve in ministry, you have to love me more than anything in your life. You have to love me more than these men. You have to love me more than these things. You have to love me more than anything in your life. Listen, let me just tell you, and this may sound weird to say, but but just track with me. Your love for God does not qualify you for ministry. I'm sorry. Your love for... That would shock you. Your love for people does not qualify you for ministry. Listen. Your love for people does not qualify you for ministry. Because it can create an unhealthy ministry. Because your love for people can be so strong that you need something from them that only God can give you. And what happens is you'll create an unhealthy ministry because you've got these people around you that you need them more than they need you. And you need them to feed your ego and feed your prideful spirit and all of that other stuff. Love for people does not qualify you for ministry because if it is so strong, you will care deeply about what they are saying about you and about your popularity and all. And you will never be able to speak truth into their life. Because you're so worried about their relationship with you. And Jesus is trying to help Simon Peter understand, Simon, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to serve me, your love for me has to be greater than your love for people. And Simon, I hate to tell you this, but you're going you're to die a, a brutal death. I mean, I was thinking about that. That's no way to recruit people for ministry, Right? Can you imagine me standing up one weekend and say, hey, we need some more ministry partners, and guess what? All of you that sign up, you're going to die a brutal death. That is no way to recruit people for ministry. So why would Jesus tell him this? Why would Jesus tell him, oh, and I need to let you know up front, you're going to die a brutal death. One of the reasons, maybe, is because it was the fear of death that caused Simon Peter to deny him. He was afraid of dying. He was afraid of suffering. But I think it's deeper than that. It could be that Jesus was dealing with insecurity in Simon Peter's life. And he provoked a response that is so sick and natural all at the same time. He provoked a response in Simon Peter's life that, you know what, if we're honest this morning, we hate to admit it, but if we're honest this morning, we all do it. So watch this. Simon Peter uh, turns to Jesus and asks him. And so remember, back to this, they're, they're walking down the beach. It's, it's Jesus and Simon Peter. John's following. So here's a response. 
Jesus says you're going to die a brutal death. Verse 21. So when Jesus saw him, John, he said to him, Lord, what about this man? Tell me he's going to die a worse death than me. Don't tell me he's going to die a better death than me. See, Simon Peter was obsessed with comparisons. John was the guy that he really was a rival for Jesus' affection. Simon Peter was obsessed with this issue of insecurity in his life that he wanted to know how he compared to others. And, and here's the crazy deal. Jesus has no tolerance for comparisons. There are some times you want to talk to Jesus. There are some times you do not want to talk to Jesus, right? I mean, there are some times you want to talk to Jesus when he encourages you and comforts you and all of that other stuff. But listen, I'm telling you, there are some times you do not want to talk to Jesus because Jesus is going to tell you the truth. And Jesus is going to confront some actions in your life that are not of him. There are some times you want to talk to Jesus, and I get that, but there are some times that, you know what? And so Jesus, instead of, he could have made the situation better. He makes it worse. Verse 22, so Jesus looked at Simon Peter and says, Well, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I mean, if, I, if it's my will that John just never dies. He makes it worse. He said, you follow me. You don't compare yourselves to others. You do what I've called you to do. So, the, so now they got this rumor going around. So the saying spread abroad among the, the brothers that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But, this is what he said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I mean, when, when Simon Peter said, and his insecurities came out, and when Simon Peter said, Lord, what about John? Je Jesus didn't make it better, he made it worse. Jesus didn't look at him and says, oh, Simon, I know you're insecure. You just need a Jesus hug. Come to Jesus. <laughs> you know you're my favorite. You know how I love you. I've always loved you more than John. There are some times, I'm telling you, you do not want to talk to Jesus. I mean, w listen, if we're honest, we deal with comparisons all the time, right? And Jesus' response to comparisons is, stop it. I mean, we can ask him, how come they have more money than me? Well, what if I want them to win the lottery tomorrow? They're going to win the lottery tomorrow? I already think they have more money than me. I already think that's not fair. See, Jesus, am I right? I mean, we do that, right? You hear, you hear someone tell you they lost 65 pounds and didn't, didn't diet, and you're like, God bless you. <laughs> I'm glad you can eat all the chocolate cake and bluebell ice cream in the world and not gain any weight. I mean, I just look at it, I get, but God bless you. It, listen, Jesus is never, I'm, I'm just telling you. Jesus answers when we get into comparisons, stop it. And you know why? Because it'll destroy you. Listen, when you compare yourselves to others, it will either make you arrogant, prideful, or discouraged. All of them will destroy you. What Jesus is telling Simon Peter, what is it to you about John? You just, you just respond to my revealed word. You just do what I've called you to do. Because here's the deal. Comparing myself to God's word is the only thing that keeps me motivated properly. Here's the great thing. 
God doesn't compare us to each other. Only to his standard, his word. See, when I compare myself to others, it keeps me self-focused and not God-focused. Can I just tell you the root issue and the whole danger? Is it keeps you mistrustful of God and keeps me offended at Him. When I compare myself to others, it will frustrate me. And there's always an implied accusation against God. Simon Peter, you'll, you'll, you'll die a bad death. Well, encourage me by letting me know that John's going to die a bad death too. See, we want people either at our level or just a little bit worse. It's possible that we can hear bad news about someone and it encourages us. We don't like to admit it and we don't like to talk about it. I'm just telling you, you will never be free in God until you can thank Him for where you are, who you are, and what you are. He made you to be you. He did not make a mistake in your mother's womb. You will never be free. And see, this is where Jesus is bringing Simon Peter. He's dealing with his insecurity. But I'm just telling you, in this room, you will never be free in him. You will never have true peace until you can thank him for where you are, what you are, and who you are. And listen, maybe I'll make it a little bit worse. If you cannot thank him for that, you have an issue with him. And we can become resentful of others because they have what we want or we're comparing ourselves to them. Let me just tell you, everyone in this room has pain. I have pain. You have pain. And if you do not believe that, you are deceived. Learn to thank God for who he made you to be. Your security doesn't come in others. It doesn't come comparing yourself to others. Because here's the deal. And hopefully you've learned this. God is consistent. And people are inconsistent. And living your life for the approval of others and for comparisons of how you stack up, it will wreck your life. Listen, I mean, this, it wasn't in my notes, and I just decided to share it Saturday night. And so far, I've shared it in all services. And it's just kind of, in some ways, embarrassing and just, just be transparent and very vulnerable for us. But I, I didn't enter ministry like the normal pastor does. Most pastors, when you talk to them, and they knew God called them to ministry when they were six or seven or 
high school or camp or whatever. And, and, and then they got out of high school, and their journey took them, whether Bible college, college, seminary, and all this other stuff. I, that's not my story. I was 35 years old, and we came to Pueblo, Colorado to start a church. I had a wife. I had two kids. Never preached before in my life. I'd served in ministry and had a youth at risk ministry, but never preached in this context. Usually the people that I talked to had knives and guns and stuff like that and, and huge records of drug use and murders and dealers and all this other. And, so, and I was comfortable in that atmosphere. And so we came with a church planning team, and Dr. Kurt Dodd was the founding pastor who's now at Omaha, Nebraska, at a megachurch. And, and by this time, Kurt had been preaching for over 20 years, and he had written four books and TV ministry and um, a take ministry. And I mean, he had preached some mega conferences of 20,000-plus people in attendance. He's a gifted communicator. He's an unbelievable communicator. I still remember where Karen and I was. We were with Kurt and Ginger before we came here in December of, of 94. And we'd gone to the Astronome, seen the Houston Astros play, and we're coming back to our house. And Kurt looked over at me and says, Hey, I just realized I'm preaching a mega conference on June the 17th. Cannot get out of it. You'll have to preach for me. I still remember the fear. I'm like, I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up for coming and planning a church. I didn't, really, I didn't sign up for that. I was scared to death. All, I mean, I, that's all I thought about from then until June the 17th. And some of you may have been there, uh, but my sermon was horrible. Because you know what I was doing? I was comparing myself to him. And I, I couldn't preach like that. I couldn't communicate like that. There were people in the congregation that compared me to him. And I knew that was going down. The fact is, after the first sermon, I mean, it was just, it was just bad. I had a medical doctor, this is a true story, I had a medical doctor meet me in the foyer and said, hey, listen, you had some great things to say, but you're just so nervous. We were just kind of nervous for you. It was kind of hard to hear what you had to say. So next time you preach, just let me know. I'll bring you a Valium. You'll take that. No, I, he says, you'll take that Valium two hours before you preach. You'll just be loose. This is his words. You'll be loosey-goosey. You won't care if the whole city of Pueblo shows up. I said, you know what? I, I have a sneaking suspicion. If the elders find out I'm doing drugs to preach, I'm fired. <laughs> so I'm not doing it. And he gets mad. I mean, he literally got offended. And he goes, well, wait a minute. You don't know how bad it was. You know, either you're going to have to take the pill or all of us are going to have to take the pill just to get through it. <laughs> It'd be easier if you would just take the pill. Just take the pill. Right, you know what? I'm not going to do it. In comparisons for me with Kurt, just about destroyed me. Because I wanted to preach like him. I wanted to communicate like him. See, I'm just starting out. Most guys, when they start out preaching, they're preaching to 25, 50 people, not me. And I'm preaching behind a guy that is an unbelievable communicator. If it hadn't been for my wife encouraging me, I don't know what I would have done. I'm telling you, I've lived this comparison stuff. Man, I know what it's like for people to come up and compare, compare me to Kurt. Wish you could preach like him. Wish you could communicate like him. I remember when we started the church in Springs and did two services. And I did the 9 o'clock here at Hoke Hall. And he did the 9 there and then drove down for the 1045. There's a room that's 600 seats. And 75 to 80 people showed up for the service I did. Hundreds. You know what it's like preaching to a room of, 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 of 550 empty seats? Then I'd sit through his sermon, and I'd listen to how skillful he was. 
and how well he communicated and the response that happened. And I remember when he left. And people found out I was going to be the senior pastor. They have to listen to me every week. There were people that laughed. There are people who said, Fellowship of the Rockies will never make it with that guy preaching every weekend. It was a painful experience, but God taught me this issue of, of comparison. Listen, I'm telling you, you cannot be free until you can thank Him for where you are, who you are, and what you are. You cannot be anyone else. You can only be yourself. And freedom comes when we break out of that issue. And here, I'm telling you, those people you're comparing yourself to right now, five years later, you will change your mind. Because you will see some things in your life or their life. And God, help me to understand that I just compare myself to him. In his, I had someone come up to me one time and say, hey, could you just learn to preach like this? You know, I won't say his name, this nationally known preacher. He's on TV all the time and big church. And, and could you learn to preach like him? Cause, and I'm like, I can't smile the whole time and talk at the same time. <laughs> I can't do that. And she's like crushed and says, well, I'm so blessed when he preaches, when I hear him. I said, well, buy a CD. You can be blessed every day. <laughs> I can only be me. See, Jesus could have gone down the... Listen, Jesus made it worse. Jesus could have gone down the line for Simon Peter and said, Simon, I know you're insecure, so I'm going to tell you how every one of these guys dies. I'm going to tell you Andrew's death. tell you all of them. Oh, and John that you're so worried about? He's going to die a horrible death. He's going to die a lonely death on the Isle of Patmos and in exile and... If Simon Peter had to choose between his death and John's death, it would have been a hard choice. And Jesus made it worse to bring healing. To help Simon Peter understand you can only be you. You don't have to compare your marriage to anybody else's marriage. You don't have to compare your life to anybody else's life. You don't have to compare your, you know, your career, your profession only be you freedom doesn't come until you can thank him for who you are what you are and where you are there's some of you in this room and you've had some failure can I just tell you this there's no failure so great that the resurrected Jesus Christ cannot create life in you again and maybe some of you have had a huge emotional setback A mate left, a loved one died, a child died, loss of a job, prodigal child. Would you see Jesus on the shore saying, come? I've got more than you need. Maybe you've had a spiritual setback. Maybe it's just wrecked your life and it's been a divorce been involved in, are involved in, in a moral relationship, wondering why you can't find peace, chemical abuse, abuse in your life. Maybe you are the prodigal, and your sins have left a pretty big scar. You tried to ignore it, you tried to hide it, you tried to stuff it, 
but the guilt is destroying you. Would you move your eyes off your failures and onto Christ on the shore that just says, Come. Like Simon Peter, he just doesn't forgive you. He welcomes you back into service. Sports Illustrated article in 2001. I'm so sorry I forgot to tell you the all-time greatest comeback, the number one comeback, what they said. The greatest comeback, what Time Magazine said, was Jesus Christ. In 33 AD, when he defied critics and skeptics and stunned the Roman Empire, when they did everything they could to prove and to keep him in that grave, and he came back. The resurrected Jesus Christ desires to create new life in you again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?